right, everybody, what is up? My name is Ryan, this is ThinkWell, and this is something that I have been waiting so long to finally tell you about and to make clear. And so I am excited for some big, big changes that are coming up. And it all starts with, as I posted, as this video is titled, A 12-Year Run Comes to an End. So I am, here it is. I am walking away, I'm stepping down from my teaching position as a full-time high school teacher and will be stepping into full-time ministry. Um, I, I'm so pumped, I'm excited. This is something that uh, I've been doing this kind of ministry since 2015, uh, since I moved back to the United States, ever since I left uh, my job as a full-time missionary overseas. And so I've been doing both things for the last eight years and I've loved it. I didn't necessarily uh, have a plan on walking away, um, but some opportunities presented itself to me to be able to make this move. And it, and honestly, and I'm just going to be upfront with you. And it, it started with donors. It started with people coming alongside and encouraging in the work that is happening here, both on YouTube and speaking events and writing on the website and, and people saying, Hey, this is good stuff. And I want to support the work that you are doing. I want to help you do it more. And so people kind of started coming along and supporting and giving and, and encouraging in the ministry. And then at the end of last year, uh, there was a funding uh, goal that was prompted by a donor as well saying, hey, I want to get more people on board and I want to get more people supporting this ministry. And so that was successful and people came along. And so all that to say over the course of this last few months, uh, we have kind of been on this journey of just praying and saying, God, where do you want me? Where do you want this ministry to go? And as really donors have come alongside and incredible, amazing ways partnered with ThinkWell to get us over 90% of our 2023 budget, uh, it became clear that it seemed like God was doing something and moving us away. So just today, I finally made the announcement to my students and I wanted to announce to all of you, um, after 12 years, in the high school classroom, uh, I am finally stepping away and into this ministry full time. I'm, I'm, I'm sad. There's a lot going on in my head right now. So if I'm just talking all over the place, hopefully uh, I am making sense, but um, I'm sad. Um, I'm going to miss that position. I've loved being in the classroom. I love my students. I love being able to go deep with them into these topics that you can't do. Honestly, you can't do in a 45 minute lecture that you see the youth group once or something like that, or even at a conference within a few lectures uh, to be able to spend days over and over all year long working with these students, um, I, I will miss that. And it has been incredible and amazing. Um, however, there are some some challenges and some struggles when you have a full-time job and I'm now working on my doctorate in cultural engagement. Uh, it leaves very little time to be able to do this ministry and to be able to produce content. I think that some of you have seen this, uh, that the YouTube videos have slowed down, that the content has almost dried up because trying to do school full-time and work full time has been a lot. And and I it's been struggling trying to adjust to this new schedule and to keep up. And so I am super pumped that starting this summer when the school year ends, uh, there is going to be this transition. There's going to be this change where I'll be able to step into this ministry full time. I'll be able to devote hours each week in hours each day, not just each week, but hours each day, finding interviews, uh, finding people to discuss content and topics here uh, by continuing to study and growing deeper in these topics to be able to present better things to you um, and to be able to devote this time and energy 
In this way, I'm going to continue my work with Maven and, and, and helping out with the immersive experiences. And so I'm going to stay working with students and, and, and developing that program and continuing to train students in cultural engagement, uh, but also being able to devote more time here at ThinkWell. And so I'm super excited and pumped for this. Now, one thing I wanted to kind of mention in this as this transition happens is um, I've tried to kind of uh, not say a whole lot. There's been a couple th times, right, when the when the donor offered a matching uh, challenge at the end of the year, uh, end of 2022. I came on here and I kind of let you all know what was going on. If you wanted to participate in that, uh, we exceeded that challenge, and that's what's helped us raise over 90% of our budget. But here we are, getting close to the summer, and I've just less than 10% left to raise. And so that's why I'm coming back for the first time in six months and saying, hey, there is a new challenge, a new goal that I have for this month. And so uh, if you check on the live chat, if you're watching live on YouTube, if you're listening, it will be in the description below. Uh, or if you are on um, uh, if you're on podcast or radio, uh, then you can check this out on my website or, or go to Facebook. Uh, but just today I've launched uh, kind of a challenge and, and, a, and, and a goal. And, and that is to to get in the month of May. Uh, before this whole thing kicks off here in June, uh, during May, to try to add 30 new monthly partners. And so again, there's been incredible people that have come alongside in one-time gifts and, and have provided so much of this year's budget. Uh, our goal now is to increase kind of the number of people that are giving consistently, giving monthly to allow a little bit more of that consistency uh, of what's coming in each month. And again, to bring more people uh, to, to support and to contribute to this work. You know, in my time uh, that we have been going through this, my family and I, uh, we recognize the need uh, for for cultural engagement. Just last night, as I mentioned in my last video on Friday, as I was working through and I made some changes based on how Friday went, uh, just last night I presented to a group of parents uh, the need to to have these sort of conversations. And, you know, when I, when I ask people, like, how do we do in culture having conversations on difficult issues? How do we do uh, discussing these political ideas? Um, the common answer is not very well, right? There, there's ways in which both Christians and non-Christians really, really need to improve how we go about having these conversations. And then the knowledge that we have, if we are Christian ambassadors, what is the, the, the person of Jesus Christ that we're an ambassador for? knowledge that we have of what we're doing and how we are communicating the truth of the gospel with gentleness and respect. And so I recognize, right, as, as we, we see where the culture is going, that, that, that sharing the gospel is becoming more difficult as our culture is becoming increasingly more hostile. Right? It is more negative towards a Christian view. It, most, it used to be just kind of, hey, you do your thing and let us do our thing. To now we actually see more hostility being raised against a Christian view. Because again, this, the Christian view is, is in direct contrast to the ideals that our culture holds core. The ideals being happiness is an ultimate goal. Uh, individual happiness, whereas the Christian life says, no, it's it's about serving, not about just focusing on what you can get, but how do we give back and help and love others? It's not about self-fulfillment and selfishness, but being selfless. Um, the, the goal, this radical, expressive individualism, just to follow your heart, live out your true self, just you be you and you do your thing, runs in contrast to the Christian message, which is die to self 
and follow Christ. And so we recognize it's not just this kind of like, hey, you do your thing and just kind of let us be, but we see an increasing hostility to sharing the gospel. And so if Christians are going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we are going to stand up and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we're going to be ambassadors for Christ, if God is making his appeal through us and we are trying to minister to an increasingly hostile culture, then it's important for us to develop skills and tactics and wisdom in engaging this cultural moment. So this is what I want to give you. This is what I want this ministry to be in training you how to think well about the Christian faith and culture as I work on studying culture and my doctorate of cultural engagement and then training you and, and relaying that information to you to better train you to engage this culture as well. And so that is what I want to spend more time doing. And that is what I am excited for. I also recognize as I talk with students, right, that, that students are doubting not just Christianity is true, but if Christianity is good. Right? Again, there's so much pushback against the Christian story and the Christian narrative of not only is it not true, and we need to have that basic apologetic uh, to show the truth of Christianity and provide arguments and evidence and reason for the truth of Christianity. But it's also defending and building up the church to show how Christianity is good how it is beautiful. And so I want to come alongside and help students do that, help parents do that. Um, As I talk to parents and youth leaders, I see that parents and youth leaders sometimes feel ill-equipped or unequipped to address and engage and disciple their students amidst these struggles, right? Because the, the culture is changing so incredibly fast. It's hard for parents to keep up. I, I talked to a youth pastor a few weeks back where he said, man, I, I, I don't have time. And all the, all the things that I have to plan and the events that I have to coordinate and the service that I have to, to orchestrate, I just don't have time to keep up with all of the cultural changes and, and, and to have a solid Christian response for it. And so again, this is where the body of Christ needs all of us. We need the youth pastor in the church who is providing that one-to-one discipleship, mentorship relationship with those students. And I'm so thankful for that. But it also is just key. And I want to try to step into the other aspect of spending my time in studying this cultural moment, understanding the Christian view better and learning how we can communicate that effectively and coming alongside supporting churches, supporting pastors, supporting parents to equip them to address, engage, and disciple their students. Um, you know, the the next generation um, is, is, is deconstructing, is leaving Christianity for a lot of different reasons, walking away from this Christian exclusivity. And so again, to come alongside and help them reconcile and really think well, not again telling them what to think, but training them how to think and how to think well about these issues. So all of that being done, right, in trying to communicate our Christian convictions in a tactful, winsome way in this increasingly polarized culture. And so this is my hope and this is my goal. And through all of this, there's a ton of free resources. And as all of you know, we got to make money to live and we have to get by and that sort of thing. And so I want to continue to provide this training and these resources to parents, to leaders, to students, to continue to be a resource. And that means other people coming alongside and supporting this work. So again, with that said, I'm super excited to be making this transition after 12 long years in the classroom and now stepping into this new full-time ministry way. You know, it's still is full-time ministry and working with students and training them, but just in a new context, in a new environment. And again, so this month, Uh, You might hear this a few more times, but hey, trying to reach this goal of 30 new monthly donors to come, come alongside 
Help us reach that funding goal before kicking off fully in June. And so uh, if there's other questions or comments you have about that, I'm excited for this. Thank you for everyone who's had a part, who has partnered in this, and uh, and I could not be happier and more excited for this new adventure and this new training. I'm sad to be leaving after eight years at my current job uh, and the relationships built, but I'm excited for what God has, and I really honestly believe uh, that this is kind of where God is leading through through people speaking into my life as well as just how God is doing. So if there's questions or comments you have, you can post those in the live chat about what's coming up and what this is going to look like. Uh, if you have other apologetic or worldview questions, I will address those as well. And so a question did come in here. Um, Aditya Venn um, asked this question. Do you think Christianity is superior to every other religion? I would ask, what do you mean by superior to every other religion and in what way uh, are you meaning that? Um, here's how I would put it. I would say that Christianity is true. I, I would I would say that the Christian worldview better lines up with reality than other religions. I think that as I've studied other religions, as I have studied other worldviews, um, you do get a better worldview fit with Christianity, meaning the way the what Christianity says the world functions, I think it actually the world does function that way. What we understand in science and philosophy and economics and all these different areas of study, the Christian worldview really does make the most sense and it is evidentially supported. And so in that sense, I do think it's a better fit. Um, I was recently asked a question uh, by uh, a group of students of, of kind of um, uh, how would I go about uh, addressing questions between why Christianity is superior or better or more true than other religions? And I said, you know, I would apply four tests. So here's the four ways in which I look and try to evaluate religions. The first one is the test of reason. Is this view, are the claims reasonable? Are they logically possible? Right? I think that there are some religions that make logically contradictory claims or um, are not possible logically, right? So, so clearly, if I said, you know, I'm, I have a friend and he is a married bachelor, right? You just immediately throw that out because, well, that's logically impossible to have a married bachelor, right? If I said, I found a square circle, right? That's logically impossible to have a square circle. You can't have both of those at the same time. So the first question is, does it pass the test of logic? And here's where I think some worldviews um, kind of fail or they have logically inconsistent things within them. Um, for one, I would say would be something like um, Mormonism, right? In in the doctrine of God, uh, being that God was once a man who became a God. This is part of the Lorenzo Snow famous couplet, as, as man is now, God once was, and as God is now, man may be. And so uh, God was once a man and became a God, and men can become gods. Uh, then you read in Moroni 8.18 uh, that talks about God being an unchangeable being in his very nature from all eternity to all eternity. And so the question is, how do we make sense? How do we reconcile these two things in the doctrine of God saying God once did not exist. He was a man and now he became God. And then also that same scripture in Moroni 8.18 saying God is an unchangeable being in his very nature. And so I think that is a, a logical inconsistency that cannot be reconciled. And I've talked to Mormons and they've kind of given their views. And I guess I just find their, their explanations, their reconciliation of that to be inadequate. So I would think that would be a logical problem. Uh, the second test after, is it logical? Now, again, I, maybe you, if you want to push back, uh, feel free. I'd love to talk about it, but uh, I would say that I, I don't see logical inconsistencies within Christianity. You may kind of point to miracles uh, or other things like that. Um, 
but uh, yeah, uh, I, um, I don't see an inconsistency with logic. Number two is going to be the test of the outer world. This is the evidence. Is there evidence to support it? Right. And again, if I'm picking on Mormonism, uh, there, there's not evidence to support the claims that uh, are made in the Book of Mormon um, about the Lamanites and Nephites. I've been to the Mormon Museum and asked them those sort of questions um, of, of where is the evidence to support these claims? Do you have evidence to support the, the Nephites and these different um, civilizations and, and anything like that? And their answer was no, we don't have any of this stuff. And so that's going to be the claim is, is are these just spiritual claims or are they evidentially supported? And I think that when you look at the claims of scripture, well, you can look at the claims that the scripture makes about God and Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that you can look at history, you can look at science, you can look at philosophy, and you can provide evidence and arguments that these things are actually true. And so there's external evidence to corroborate an internal personal experience. And so this came up in the Q&A with the students last night, where it's like, hey, all these different people have different religious experiences. How do we make sense of of their differences. And the answer is, well, don't tell them, don't tell them your experience is not true, right? That's not how we should go about it. Don't deny the fact that they having experience. The question is, we have these different experiences and if they contradict, the question is, how does our experience line up with reality? So if I have an experience that is contradicts reality, is contradictory to reality, then there's reason to believe that my experience is false. And so that's the second test is, is there evidence? And I think that Christianity does have evidence to support its claim. And this is where a lot of other religions and worldviews kind of fall off, uh, is not being able to provide that evidential support for the claims that it makes. The third test is the test of the outer world. Oh, no, that's the second test. The test of the outer world. Second, third test is the test of the inner world. Does it adequately address the things that we experience? Right. And when you have certain aspects of new spiritualism or kind of the new age movement, some views of Buddhism and Hinduism that says, you know, uh, suffering is an illusion, right? That, that, that sadness is just because of negative thinking. And if we just turn our positive, you know, have positive thoughts, then, then all of a sudden good things will happen. And it's just we can manifest anything we want to reality. But the suffering is an illusion. Does that make sense of the suffering that we experience? Right. Try telling someone who is going through terrible suffering, it's all an illusion. It's not really happening. Um, that doesn't seem to address what we actually feel and what we actually experience. Uh, when you have a secular view, for example, that says something like, um, you know, uh, not all secularists, but, you know, you have some within a secular view that if there is no God, right, then morality becomes subjective. So there's not any like evil, there's no sin. And then the question is, well, what is guilt? Right. When you feel guilty, the question is, why do you feel guilty? Right. A, a Christian worldview can adequately address that and says you feel guilty because you are guilty because you've done wrong. Right. There are some secular views that say, well, you just feel guilty because you've gone against what culture says you're supposed to do. But it's not actually wrong. Right. You just everyone has always told you your whole life. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And you did it. And so you feel bad. But what you did is not actually bad because for it to be actually bad, you need objective morality. And so in a system in which there's no objective right and wrong, meaning something that is right and wrong no matter if you like it or not, but in a system that says morality changes from culture to culture, then whatever culture decides becomes good. Then how do you make sense of the wrong in culture, but also the sense of why I feel like I did something wrong or why I feel guilty? And it's not you're guilty 
or you feel guilty because you are guilty. You just feel guilty because you went against what culture said. So recognize it's not actually wrong. And then your guilt goes away. And the question is, does that adequately address the guilt that we feel? So that would be kind of the third test. And there's more that we could talk about if you want to. Um, but the test of the inner world. So first is the test of reason. Is it reasonable? Is it logical? I think the Christianity is. Is there the test of the outer world? Is there evidence to support the claims? Within Christianity, I think that there is. Number three is the test of the inner world. Does it adequately address our experiences and what we live through? And I think that other worldviews deny or, or kind of dismiss those experiences. Christianity does adequately address it. And number four then is the test of the real world. If consistently lived out, um, the question then is, uh, 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 what would this look like? in the real world, if consistently lived out, if everyone lived this way, would it have a positive or negative effect on society? So again, is it superior? Well, put it this way, if everyone lived out a Christian ethic, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, being compassionate and caring and forgiving and being a servant, putting other people before you, if everyone did that, would that have a positive or negative effect on society? I think the answer is it would have a hugely positive effect, right? If, uh, if other worldviews got lived out, like this, uh, this narcissistic view of just, it's, it's all about me. And if everyone just focused on their self, would that make culture better or worse? And I think clearly we see how that would make things worse. And so um, I don't know if that kind of helps in working through those, but those would be four tests that I would apply to, to maybe not say, I wouldn't put it the way that, and say Christianity is superior in that sense, because that could be a, a tricky way of putting it. But I would say that the Christianity better fits reality, that you do get a better worldview match with Christianity. And Christianity is true, right? That Christianity is objectively true. It's not just, that's not just my belief, but, but it really is true. And therefore, based on the law of non-contradiction, if Christianity is true, then anything that contradicts Christianity by definition has to be false. And so in that sense, it is superior in a way as well, because if it is the truth and everything else that contradicts it is, is false, or at least false in some aspect or has components that are false, then Christianity would be superior as being the one true worldview. And so uh, that is kind of how I would put it and kind of my reasons for that. So I do appreciate uh, the question and uh, thank you so much for sending it in. Again, if you have a follow-up, um, be sure to address that or if you want to call and talk through it. Um, Slam, you don't like the change. You don't like the change of me leaving teaching? Um, again, let me let me just, I don't know how well, how clearly I said this, but this is not even something that that I pursued. It was something that was approached and, and given to me, right? It, it said, hey, um, you know, uh, it was, it was offered and say, Hey, if you want this, here you go sort of thing. And it was like, okay, God, if you want this to happen, then you got to make it happen. And you got to increase the number of speaking events and you have to increase, uh, the, uh, the, um, the amount of support that's coming in and things just kind of start happening as we prayed about it. Uh, people started calling and people started requesting for me to speak and, and, and donors started coming in. It was like, okay, it seems like God really is doing something. And so again, I didn't necessarily go into this. I've been doing both of them side by side for the last eight years and I was happy doing that. Uh, but it really does seem like this is something that, that God is doing. Um, um, you know, Sam, I think that's a good question. You know, am I just being too nice? Well, the reason I'm hesitating, right, with the the way in which the question was was posted is, do you think Christianity is superior? Is I just think that that can be taken a, a, 
a wide range of ways, maybe, um, that it depends on what the person means by superior. And so I would say Christianity is true. Others are false. Um, I think uh, that Christianity is a better fit for reality, that there's the way the world is, and Christianity fits that well. I kind of take that language from Craig Hazen, who talks about that you get a better worldview fit there. Um, yeah, so Christianity is true means others are false. Christianity fits reality, others don't fit. Um, there's a mismatch there. And so uh, in that sense, Christianity would be superior or would be the way in which you should be believing because it's actually true and it makes sense of the lives that we live. So um, yes, that is uh, the way I put it. Let me kind of go through the questions here. Um all right, so it looks like those are the main things that came in. So anyways, I didn't want this to be a super long live stream, but I wanted just to get the information out there. Uh, I'm super pumped. I'm excited for what God has planned and what this means. Um, again, uh, over 90% has come in through generous donors just coming alongside and saying, hey, we want to support this work and we want to be able to allow you to keep doing what you're doing. And so this is my final appeal to try to reach the last 10% uh, of that uh, of our yearly goal and trying to say, hey, can we in the month of May and have this challenge to try to reach 30 new monthly supporters? And again, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, that link will remain in the description below. It's in the live chat to the side, um, or you can head over to Facebook. The Facebook is um, facebook.com slash Ryan Polly 2, I believe is that it. But if you search Think Well on Facebook, uh, that will come up. And Slam, you are absolutely right. Other religions lead to death. Christianity leads to life. And because it is true, it has an accurate explanation of what is wrong with us, that we are corrupted by sin. It has an accurate solution that Jesus Christ is the only solution. Um, a student last night came to me, and I'll finish with this, right? A student last night came and said, hey, a question that I frequently get, why is it that so many good people will not have the opportunity to go to heaven? And I responded and I said, look, there's two ways in which you can look at this question. I've shared this many times, but two ways in which you can look at this question. Number one is, are we actually good people? And then two, is the standard by which we get into heaven our goodness? Right. And so the question is, are we actually good people? And, and the answer, according to scripture, is clearly no. Right. That for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that Jesus is asked, hey, good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? For only God is good. Jeremiah talks about that our good, our good deeds are like filthy rags. And so we recognize that I may do good things, but that does not make me a good person. The doctrine of sin from Genesis chapter three is that we are broken beyond self-repair, that we are in need of a savior. So we are not good people. And I think that R.C. Sproul Jr. said it well when he said there's only one time in all of human history in which a good, sorry, in which a bad thing happened to a genuinely good person. And he volunteered. Right? And talking about Jesus' death on the cross. So number one, we have to recognize that we are not good people. Our, the wages of sin is death and that our sin is leading us to death. The second thing is the standard by which to get into heaven. Why, why do we assume that the standard is if you're good or not? Because even if, that, like, even if I was good, the question is, who gets to set the standard? And that's like me going to Costco. That's my analogy that I always use. If I were to show up at Costco and say, I would like to get into your store or any country club or any, you know, exclusive place, I would like to enter. And they say, I'm sorry. Are you a member? No, I'm not a member. Well, then I'm sorry. You can't come in. You have to go buy a membership. And you go, but I'm a good person. It's like, good, awesome, but 
you need a membership. And you're like, but I just helped the old lady in the parking lot unload her groceries into her car. And they go, wow, thank you. But you need to be a member. Right? It's like, but I'm not a bad person. I've never murdered anybody. I've never been to jail. And it's like, well, that's good. But you need to be a member. You see, we often, we, we approach this conversation saying, well, if I'm a good person, I should be able to get into heaven, right? And the question is, what is the standard by which God sets of how you get in? Right? We can't just show up at Costco and say, I'm a good person. Why can't I get in? Because the, the entrance is not based on how good you are. The entrance is based on if you're a member or not. If you're part of the Costco family, you get in. If you're not, you don't get in, no matter how good or bad you have been. And so the question is, is scripture point to this being similar? And I think it does. In John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see Jesus teaching this idea that not only are you not good, that only God is good, but the only way in which you can get into heaven is through Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice that he pays for us. And so when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when your sins are justified, Scripture talks about in in John that, that we are adopted as children of God, that we are brought into the family of God, and being part of the family of God, you get the benefits of the family of God. Just like being part of the Costco family, you get benefits of Costco. But if you're not part of the family of God, then you don't get in. And so not only do other, not only is, is, are we not good, but the standard is not our goodness. The standard is, do you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Has he clothed you in his righteousness and forgiven you of your sins? And for that reason, there's not only better evidential match, but again, Christianity accurately addresses our need and our issue, what is broken and wrong with us, which is our sin, and then adequately addresses it by giving us Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the only one who actually can cure us of that disease. And so um, absolutely right that all other religions and all other ways, because they are not trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will lead to death. Christianity will lead to life, which is another way in which if you want to put it and you mean it that way, which Christianity is superior then yeah, Christianity is superior because it brings life, not death. It is true. It's not false. It is good, not bad. It is beautiful. And so for those reasons, I would agree. And hopefully that helps addressing the question of that. Again, I think it's just a hard thing to do to address questions that come in a live chat when I don't know exactly what people mean by things. And that's why I like having the kind of conversation. Okay, what do you mean by superior? Um, But yeah, I think that Christianity is superior in pretty much every way. And the fact that it's true and how it calls us to live and how it addresses the issues um, and brings us ultimately to a right relationship with our Lord and Savior. So yes, I would agree. And I think those are all true. So with that, I am excited because additional time in the ministry is going to mean additional time creating content. Uh, There's books that have been sent to me a long time ago that I haven't been able to get to. One of those would be addressing when children come out, a guide for Christian parents. And so what do we do in addressing this? So this has came up in my my parent training last night uh, when talking about, okay, your, your, your kid comes home from school and says, hey, this classmate of mine who was Sarah now wants to go by Sam. Uh, what do you tell your kid? Uh, how do you address names? How do you address pronouns? Hey, Sarah now wants to go by he, him pronouns. What should I do, mom and dad? And are we ready to address that? Are we ready when it's our own kid or when it's our students' friends? And so I'm excited to kind of work through that book and talk through it. A new book, uh, I don't even think this one has come out yet, but a new one from 
Adam Groza and JP Moreland unraveling philosophy, an interactive guide. And so uh, hopefully getting an interview on this book and talking about how to make philosophy practical and how to unravel it and how it makes sense for them. And then I've talked about this a lot, but honestly, I just haven't had time to set up interviews. And that's one thing I'm super excited about. But this comprehensive guide to science and faith edited by um, Casey Luskin, William Densky and Joseph Holden. Uh, Casey Luskin sent this to me like almost a year ago. Uh, it was about like August or September of last year. Um, and every chapter is written by a different leading scientist in the intelligent design movement. And um, and so I'm excited to kind of go through this and pick out some important chapters and uh, get some interviews on this book that have... Um, that I think are relevant, that are important to help think through. And again, I'm always checking new books coming out and, and referencing authors. And uh, my my Amazon card is full of books that I want to consider. And so I'm just excited uh, of, of the possibilities of what can happen uh, with additional time available just to spend and being intentional with this ministry and creating better conversations uh, for you. So it uh, looks like another quick comment came in here really quick. Let me make sure, see if there's any questions here. Uh, it looks like there is a question. So let me throw it up on the screen. Um, Omni Kevlar, thank you for commenting in. Congratulations on the transition. Wish you the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be weird, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, here is the question. Can you explain why does God make people who he knows ahead of time will reject them and senselessly suffer in hell for eternity? Wow. Uh, this is a good question. The question... Uh, so this was something I studied recently, actually, in one of the books that I read for my doctorate. One of the books uh, for my doctorate, uh, where is it? Somewhere down there on the floor, I think. Um, but I had to read a book on on the brief history of Western philosophy, and I and I chose uh, to study um, someone. <laughs> Who was it? Anyways, I read on one of the philosophers um, and now I'm completely blanking on who it was off the top of my head. But anyways, right. But it's the philosopher that talks about the best of all possible world scenario. Uh, that would be that'll come to me a little bit or if you know. Um, but here, here's the question. Could God have created a world in which more people freely come to a knowledge of him? Or is it possible that if God would have created a world uh, that did not have these people exist, uh, that it would have changed the, the, the dynamics of the world enough to where maybe it's not an overall better world? And so the idea here, and I and I hold to this, right, and I hold to other views that kind of make sense of this, like, like Molinism, right? So my view, uh, being a Molinist, is that God created knowing what people would freely choose, all right, so God has knowledge of how people would freely choose given any world in which he creates. And then he chooses to create the world in which the most number of people freely choose to come to a knowledge of him. Right. And so there's all these possible worlds that God is able to kind of evaluate. And as he's choosing how he wants to create, uh, he's creating based on certain reasons. And I think that one of the reasons it's legitimate to assume based on knowing that God has all knowledge, that he is wise, he's also loving, and he wants people to be in a relationship with him, that he is going to want to create the world in which the most number of people freely choose to come into a relationship with him. And so the question would be, is it possible for God to make a world, as you mentioned there, in which people freely reject him, and then he makes a world in which none of those people exist, and only the people that would freely come to a knowledge of him exist, and all those people then freely come to a knowledge of him? Or is it possible that by changing 
the circumstances um, that it would shift the outcome of what that world's end results would actually be. And it would actually be an overall worse world. Because I think that a lot of people can point to examples of, of unsaved people in their lives uh, that, that led them to, to, you know, the, 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 the atheist, you know, professor that challenged the students that actually brought people back into Christianity or, or led people to be apologists that ended up leading to, to, ministries that that brought people to faith and to expose the gospel to more people. And so there's just so many moving puzzle pieces. I think it's impossible for us as humans to know what sort of feasible worlds would actually be better or best. And so this question makes a lot of sense. It's like, hey, couldn't God have done this? And I think that's where I kind of go back to the question of, well, um, could he have? Um Maybe he couldn't. And if we trust that God is all good and all loving and all merciful, and he wants the most number of people to come to a knowledge of him, then is it possible that this really is the best of all possible worlds? Um, and therefore, this is necessary in a sense, um, that this is part of that world. And so... Um, I think that's kind of would be my brief explanation following that philosopher that I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, I could sit here and I could pull up my paper really quick and figure it out. Um, but this idea of maybe this is the best of all possible worlds and, um, and that that world actually doesn't exist. And so, um, hopefully that helps. And now I'm seeing more things. Um, um, let's see. Yeah, it doesn't look at like other questions came in. If you want here, let me let me pull that up here really fast because I, I have a second. And if you want to stick with me as I just pause and and chat um, a brief history of modern philosophy is the paper. It's opening currently. And let me see here. So it would be. Leibniz. Yes, it would be Leibniz. Um, so Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz is a modern philosopher who made an impact in areas of logic, metaphysics, ethics, and the philosophy of theology. One idea, I'm reading my paper here really quick, summary of Leibniz's section. One idea that Leibniz resented in response to human free will is referred to as the best of all possible worlds. Leibniz maintained that view that humans had free will within God's creation. This was possible because before deciding to create, God was able to survey all the possible worlds and how people would freely act in each possible world. For example, God surveyed all the possible worlds in which and saw that one where Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon and one where he did not cross the Rubicon. When, therefore, God decides to create or to give existence to the Rubicon crossing Caesar, he is making actually a free choosing Caesar. Hence, our actual Caesar freely crossed the Rubicon. This leads to the question then of why did God choose to create a world with so much sin? Leibniz argued that God created the best of all possible worlds is the world where there is more good than bad. A world in which there is free will is sometimes that is, and here's where Leibniz's quote, this is Leibniz, a world in which there is free will, which is sometimes sinfully misused is better than a world in which there is neither freedom nor sin. So Leibniz's response provided a theodicy for why there is sin in God's good creation. I think this kind of addresses that question as well um, of a world in which people can freely choose. And part of that is freely choosing to re reject God is a better world than a world in which there is no freedom, but where then everyone's 
salvation is guaranteed. And so the question really then is, as I mentioned before, is there a possible world in which 100% of people freely choose to come to a knowledge of God? And I believe that if that world was possible, God would have created it. Um, but I believe that as God surveys the possible worlds in which he creates, um, then he is choosing the best of all possible worlds in which there's ultimately more good than bad, uh, the better world, so to speak, and that is the one that we have. And so that would be my reconciliation of why I think God makes people ahead of time that he knows would freely reject him um, and suffer in hell um, rather than just choosing not to create them. So uh, hopefully that helps. And I do not see any other questions in the chat. So with that, again, hey, jump on, help support, and uh, continue to check up other videos here. I'm excited for what's about to come up and all the ways in which uh, ThinkWell can continue to provide resources for you to help you engage this culture from a biblical worldview and engage the culture for Christ. Um, Come back next time. Excited for what's happening. Thank you for being part of it. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for watching. And it is my pleasure to continue to provide these resources for you. So until then, share it, like it, subscribe, do all that kind of fun stuff. And I will see you next time as we continue to think deeply about God, Christianity, and Jesus because they are worth thinking about. Thanks, everybody. Have a good rest of your day. God bless. Your love